to the Yemei Chabad for Yud Sivan, we have two entries, one in the year Tafresh Chavhei, that is 625, the 10th day of Sivan 625, can we get that in the English date? Six, the 10th of Sivan Mine's 36 July 1st. Oh yeah? Okay, so this, this was, um, at that day, uh, there was a, uh, a match that uh, the... Um, that was actually suggested by the Tzemach Tzedek between uh, the grandchildren. As we learned throughout the history of Chabad, that they intermarried within the families. Uh, very close relatives uh, always uh, married each other. They kept it in the, uh, sort of in the family, yeah? What? The 10th day of Sivan on the year 625. Okay? So... On this day, they didn't have the marriage, but they actually wrote. Which June, day was that? June the fourth, eighteen sixty-five. June fourth, eighteen sixty-five. Okay, so they wrote the uh, agreement uh, to get to make to make the marriage. Now, of course, the boy and the girl were very very young at the time; only about five years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boy was five years old. Uh, it was a shidduch between the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab became eventually the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. Um, and his father, the fourth Rebbe, the Rebbe Maharash, um, was the one that uh, wrote the agreement. Um, his brother, which was Rebbe Yosef Yitzchok of Orvuch, um, between them, for the Rebbe Maharash's son, for Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak's daughter. So that's a cousin, a first cousin. So they made. And who resided over this? It was the Tzamach Tzedek. It was their father, the Rebbe, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, who presided over this. Um, the Rebbe Rashab at that point was merely five, less than five years old. The Rebbe Rashab was born on the 20th day of Cheshvan. So, and this is, he was four and a half years old at the time. This was in 25, in, in, this was uh, less than five years uh, later. The grandfather, the Tzemach Tzedek, and by the way, um, she is actually in the cemetery. We see her in the cemetery, in the old Montefiore Cemetery. The Rebetzin, Sternesora, who became, after the Shidduch, they got married. She became the, the wife of the Rebbe Rashab, of the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. And uh, like I said, she's interned in the next to the Ohel over there at the uh, Old Montefiore Cemetery. So what was her age, Rabbi, when they made the shidduch? Okay, um, not sure about that. Let's see if it doesn't say here, but I'm sure we can see that on the. If you look on the tombstone, you can see maybe what they when she was born and what year she was born. But anyways, this was a suggestion that came from the grandfather, the Tzemach Tzedek, for two of his grandchildren his son's son and his son's daughter for them to get married and when uh, the son Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak asked his father he says maybe when the chassan becomes older maybe he's not going to be a fitting shidduch for her maybe he's not he's not going to go further. and the Tzemach Tzedek answered to him he says Zah that this cotton 
is going to be. Um, uh, it doesn't say it when she was born. It says when she passed away on the tombstone over here. Okay. So it says. So he said this one is going to be greater than you. So he says you're worried about if he's going to uh, be fitting for your daughter. He says he's going to surpass you yourself. So not to worry about it. And it's interesting when they wrote the. The uh, commitments for the shidduch uh, between the the brothers that Samach Tzedek added with his handwriting that he obligates himself to give a gift to his grand dear grandchildren every year fifty rubles uh, whatever and uh, uh, for a total of five hundred rubles that's what it is. That's the gift that the Tzemach Tzedek undertook. Very interesting. Then we have, in uh, years later, um, this was in the year Tofresh Tzadik Beis, the 10th of Sivan, in 692. Uh, Tofresh Tzadik Beis. That was the wedding date of the Rebbets and Shana. As we learned, the previous Rebbe had three daughters. And the youngest of his daughters, her name was Shana, and she married Rabbi Menachem Mendel Hardenstein, who was a grandson of the Rebbe Marash. It's about 1934. Uh, 1934. 1934. And unfortunately, as we learned already, that the Rebbe Shana, she perished in the Holocaust together in the, um, together with the whole family over there. Uh, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Hardenstein. Uh, was the uh, was the son of the Rebetzin Chaim Mushka, who was the daughter of the Rebbe Maharash. We've learned about this several times, and uh, the daughter, the youngest daughter of the of the previous Rebbe, that was the sister-in-law of the Rebbe. Uh, the, she married uh, Rabbi Nachmanel Hakoyin. He was a Koyin also, Arnstein. Uh The wedding took place in the city of Landvarov in Poland. Uh, the reason why that place was chosen, the previous Rebbe writes, because there were a lot of limitations, because this was already before the war was uh, was getting, uh, you know, underway at that time, and there was different... Uh, I, but they were... But there were problems with getting the documents, problems with the the borders. So he says they decided that the chasna should be. This was like on the main road over there, on the stop which is Landrova in the Poland in the in Poland. That's why it was there. Uh, and uh, the Rebbe wrote an invitation uh, that uh, to inviting all the people for that for that wedding and um, and like I said unfortunately you know the um, the family perished during the Holocaust and uh, and I mentioned also that sometimes people would tell the Rebbe you know uh, how could you believe in God after the Holocaust such a terrible thing and the Rebbe would sometimes tell the people that his own family he lost a Many of his closest and dearest people to the family, so he's no stranger to the Holocaust. He's not like he's speaking from personal experience, and he had suffered just like many of the other Jewish people had suffered at the time, and yet that is separate. And once believe in Hashem should still be uh, steadfast and to uh, continue to do and to rebuild. And, and many times, you know, the Rebbe spoke about the idea that. 
um, we have to see to fill the void because if there was a void created from the Holocaust that so many dear, brilliant, holy, great people passed away, we can only imagine uh, what kind of benefit the world would have had had they been allowed to continue to live and to thrive and to uh, produce and be productive for all the societies around them and how many more prize winners, Nobel Prize winners and other people making a difference in the world we would have had had they just been left alone and let them to allow to live their lives. But they were taken away from us so brutally and they were uh, so horrifically uh, killed. But what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to the extent we can is to fill that gap, you know, to fill those holes, to try to do what we can. And unfortunately, a lot of times our own actions and the freedoms, we are sort of creating, you know, a spiritual holocaust by not holding on to our Jewish people. And if they're marrying out of the faith and then they're raising their children not Jewish, so what happens is we are losing them not from outside forces, but unfortunately we're losing them from the inside forces. And if you look at the studies that they have, uh, they talked about the studies that they've done, how much the Jewish people are declining and the forecast for not too far down the road, like 20 years down the road, it's a very, very bleak uh, forecast that besides the uh, sort of ultra-Orthodox communities, everybody else is declining and everybody else's numbers are becoming less and less. If we don't do something about it, um, then it's, 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 it's unfortunately looks like it's going in the wrong direction. But of course, you know, things have looked bad for the Jewish people a lot of times and somehow or the other we God intervenes uh, to help us out and what we have to do, what we have to do. You know, like they say the story about, um, about that a certain individual was uh, going on the, uh, on the beach and he saw that there was waves that have put all these starfish, beached them onto the beach and they were slowly drying out and they were all dying. So a man felt bad about these uh, creatures, they're all dying. So he was taking them and uh, throwing them back into the into the water when another man saw what he's doing he says what are you doing he says i feel bad i'm trying to get them back to the life so the other guy says to him he says but you know you can stay here from today to tomorrow there's millions of these starfish over here on the beach you're not what difference are you going to make already if you're going to throw in this few that you're going to get he says look he says i may not make a difference to the whole picture but to that starfish that gets back into the water I made a difference Mm -hmm. he says you know we can't always make a difference in the whole picture but it doesn't take away from us our responsibility to do what we can everybody can do a little bit can do something to help out you know the little bit a little bit adds to a lot but the, the bottom line is we all have a responsibility especially you know as the next generation after that uh, we still have our, a lot of our parents slowly but surely they're dying out that still experienced the Holocaust. They were there at the Holocaust. And uh, so we have a responsibility to try to do the best that we can to hold on to, to our people. And uh, I think, 
you know, people that witness it or when you live at that time and you've seen or you live with people that have seen all this cruelty and all this inhumane treatment, I think it gives you, besides more responsibility, but it gives you more, I guess, feeling that you want to do something about it because, you know, you're so close to, to, to what happened that you want to sort of somehow rectify or do what you can to fix it up, you know, to try to fix it. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes people went the other direction. They said, we don't want our children to ever experience anything like that, so we don't gonna have, we're not going to have anything to do with, uh, with, with, with Judaism so that our children don't have to face that. But that's, you know, that's like trying to, uh, you know, keep quiet anti-Semites by saying there'll be no Jews so there won't be no anti-Semites over there because there'll be nobody to hate. Yeah, what, what you're saying is the assimilation of America is no different today than the assimilation was in Germany. Germany had, the assimilation was greater than it is in America today before the war. Okay. Because the intermarriage was at an extremely high rate. And, and, and they didn't even, those that were Jewish, they, they did, their parents were not religious, and they didn't even really practice that much, because there was a big transformation going on at that time. But it wasn't just in Germany, it was in Austria too. The, the, the religious ones that, I think, that, that survived, and it wasn't the, so much the German, it was the Polish and the Russian that, that transported it to America to become religious. Because I think a lot of it is because the, the, the educational background that they had, they felt that they were discriminated only because of the, the, the title being a Jew, and it wasn't from the religious aspect. But the unfortunate thing is that we, that those Jewish people that thought that they can escape because they're denying their Judaism or their practice, it didn't help them. It was unfortunate that it didn't help them. So it wasn't something, and they went and they searched back, you know, uh, any, even any of your ancestors were Jewish. 25, less than 25%. So they, they, so, I mean, that's that's very unfortunate, but it's, it's still a sort of a cruel reminder that uh, trying to assimilate or trying to run away from who you are isn't necessarily going to get you any relief or anything. It That's it. It didn't get them any relief. During the time of the Spanish Inquisition, people who thought by converting they could hide from the Inquisitor were still considered not real Christians. And they and they actually they they tortured them and they yeah, caused they them the the some the, left. Um, and, and some well, then, then they chased out every single Jew from Spain, and they eventually they well, they, they Portugal from Portugal they Portugal. they they uh, they don't. So I mean, our history is been unfortunate, uh, very unfortunate tragedies. A lot of times, for us in the modern times today, it's almost hard to uh, believe that this can go on until you look at the news, what's going on in the Muslim countries against the Jews. So then you start thinking, hey, you know, we're still, we're still not these people's mind. And if they, God forbid, ever got the opportunity, the hand, the power to do what they really want to do in their hearts. And by the way, they say that the biggest anti-Semitism is, is actually in the Palestinian uh, camps over there. They teach... They, they teach the, the, the worst, the worst of the worst. And I'm not even sure how you can say worst is so bad uh, elsewhere. How could it be any worse? But it seems like that the worst of it, they did a study, is actually in the... Um, in the textbooks. 
it's in the textbooks, and those are the people that we're expected to sort of make peace with when it's uh, in their... Uh, yeah, due to the Oslo Peace Conference, those textbooks were supposed to have been rewritten, and they never were. Well, uh, you know, they're... Uh, uh, being honest has never been one of the <laughs> hallmarks <laughs> of, the, <laughs> of these people, you know. I mean, that's not been ever that nothing else.